going to carry on our series looking at joy and hope this morning. And we're going to be looking at a verse in Proverbs, chapter 17, and verse 22, that says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So, I'd imagine all of us have been to the, been to the doctors, and uh, we've explained our symptoms to the doctor, and we've looked for the doctor to come up with a a diagnosis and a treatment, a prescription, and uh, the doctor says, you know, I know what it is, take these tablets three times a day, it's all going to be sorted. And we leave the doctor's surgery, and our faith really is in the doctor, isn't it? We believe that this man, this woman, has been many years of training, GPs are seven plus years of training. We uh, trust that the medicine they're going to give us is going to treat the ailment or the sickness. And we go back and we have, we put our trust and our confidence in our faith. And faith is being sure of what you hope for and certainly what you don't see. And you take the medicine and you duly get better. And the medicine worked. <coughs> and here in this proverb, we have Dr. God saying to us, if you've got a crushed spirit, a joyful heart is good medicine. So we're going to look at God's prescription this morning. And it's an interesting thing in the Proverbs that they, they kind of offer a warning and an invitation. And I guess it's what a great parent does. I don't know if it's possible to put the um, volume just slightly down. Just... It's what a great parent does, really, isn't it? There's always invitations to life, and there's also warnings, isn't there? Don't play with matches. <laughs> there's, a, there's a warning there. Don't play with that knife. There's a warning there. But there's also great invitations, isn't there? Have a go. Do your best. Go on adventures. Great parents, great coaches, great doctors are all the time doing that. Teachers do that, don't they? There's great mm. invitations from teachers. You know, do your best, learn, do your homework. And there's also, sometimes, unfortunately, in teaching, there can be fearful warnings. If you don't do too well, you won't get a job or something. But in all these places, there's great invitations and there's great warnings. And so if we looked at Proverbs 17, it's offering a great invitation, but also Solomon, the writer, is saying, I've got wisdom for you from God. There's also a great warning here. And the great invitation is that a cheerful heart is good medicine. Amen. And there's also a warning here, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. As, I don't know if you've noticed in newspapers, there's always kind of the list of foods that say, these are the foods that you mustn't take anymore, and these are the foods that you can. And it seems to change all the time, doesn't it? You know, one minute, red wine... Don't take red wine, it's dangerous. Then, ah, red wine. There's oxidants in it, it's good for your heart. Coffee, coffee's bad. And then, no, coffee's good. And so there's so much attention now to nutrition and diet and how many hours sleep you should have. In the 1980s, the people who were the most successful people didn't sleep at all. And you have the stories about the presidents who only slept three hours a night, like... People like Gary. Who <laughs> 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 doesn't need a lot of sleep. <laughs> and, and then you have now people saying everybody needs to sleep seven or eight hours a night. And so 
there's so much that we, we're probably the most health conscious generation alive. We talk a lot about our diet and five through today. Now it's eight a day, isn't it? You know, we're thinking I, didn't, I was struggling with five. <laughs> now I've got to get to eight somehow. So we talk about diet and nutrition and exercise and sleep. But this, this proverb is saying there's a, there's a truth here that many of us don't really all the time talk about. And it's saying that our inner world, the inner world, our, the culture of our hearts... Culture is really natural, lived-out beliefs and values. What's going on on the inside, whether you're <coughs> cheerful on the inside and joyful on the inside, whether you have a, um, a, a rejoicing heart, Dr. God is saying, a, <coughs> a joyful heart does good like medicine. Of course, when the, the Hebrew writers didn't put the word medicine there, it would have said a, a joyful heart, a, joyful, a, a, a cheerful heart, a rejoicing inner world has the capacity to cure and heal. That's how they would have read it. And a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So the writer here, thousands of years ago, is saying that the way you are on the inside your joy levels, your rejoicing levels, your cheerfulness, whether your mind is full of um, joy and anticipation and expectation, believing good is coming, so that can actually have an effect on your body. That a joyful heart can actually prevent, treat and bring health to your body and cure your body. That's what Dr. God is saying in this prescription. What we're not saying is this, is that if you, if you lack joy, you're going to get sick. We're not saying that, okay? We're not saying that because all of us would know anecdotally right old miseries who've never, Ill, <laughs> who've never been ill. <laughs> and we're not saying that if you can just sort out the joy issues, then you'll never get sick again. But we're not saying that. But rather that... The, that this verse is, at the same time, making a real invitation. So on one hand, we can't overstress it by saying, if you have a joyful heart, you'll never be ill. Mm. Okay, so you, we can't say that. But neither can we deny the fact that this verse has a huge and wonderful invitation yes. and a huge and powerful warning. So sometimes what we can do, we can over... We can sometimes be so fearful about emphasising the fact there's something in this about joy, curing and healing, that we don't want to go there, but actually the Bible says you can go there. In other words, a positive outlook, a happy outlook, will have a huge impact upon your emotional health, your energy levels and physical health. But a wounded, crushed and negative heart can sap your energy mm. and ruin your health. Mm. So joy promotes health. Yeah. Joy promotes health. Those who choose to laugh and enjoy life have believed Dr. God, trusting that his prescription has the capacity to cause them to live healthier, happier and longer. So, and people are getting this in, in secular world. There's, if you go on Plums of the Common right now, 
I think on a Thursday evening, there's laughter songs. Yes. A bunch of people will get together and they'll laugh together. <laughs> there's laughter clubs springing up all over the place. Amen. People are getting it before people who've got the Bible that a cheerful heart, a joyful heart, a rejoicing heart is good medicine. Mm-hmm. And so if we sow seeds like anxiety, bad temper, they actually have the power to grow a harvest that ruins our life. So what we're saying this morning is we're going to do some careful inventory on the garden of our heart, just to check what's growing up in our heart. Are there some weeds that we need to pull out? Are there some seeds that are springing up and choking the life and the joy and the peace of our inner world that we're going to pull those up and, and, and say, actually, Dr. God, I want to take your prescription of joy three times a day from now onwards. So what I want to do really briefly is, is just look at the second f- part of this verse, <coughs> which says, crushed, <coughs> that a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I want to talk briefly about what can, can crush our inner world and dry up the bones. So when the Bible often talks about dryness, it's really talking about something has gone wrong. You know, they talk a lot in the Old Testament about when it rains and and, and the land is fertile, the crops spring up. When it's dry and arid, it's barren, something's gone wrong. So we want to talk about what can dry up the bones, because what we want to do is take seriously the warning part of the verse and then embrace the invitation. Now sometimes people can find, and maybe that's you, find your inner world is crushed Mm -hmm. and heavy and burdened and you feel despondent inside and despairing (coughs) inside and seriously it's got nothing to do with what you did. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got nothing to do with maybe the choices you've made and it's got nothing to do with what you've done or not done. You just find that you are living with a sense of I am crushed inside and and you'd probably be able to trace it back and say, um, I got crushed inside because mum or dad just said something to me or didn't believe in me or I, I never quite measured up to, to what they wanted me to be. Some people could say, I got crushed at school. Something got crushed in, in school and I never really believed in myself again. They reckon that the average person stops being creative at the age of 12 because that's when a teacher told them, you're not creative. So lots of kids stop drawing, stop painting, stop um, being creative at that age, believing I'm just not the creative type, when actually we believe that everybody is creative. There's only those who use their creativity and those who don't. But there can be significant moments when we were younger where maybe it was a teacher or an authority figure said, Sometimes people have been hurt in church and got bruised in being part of church and they think, actually, my my inner world is crushed. I am crushed. So many people, uh, men and women, have been crushed in in their marriages. Maybe harsh words or betrayal or, or someone said something and rejected them and hurt them. And so for many of us, we can feel actually, yeah, that picture of my inner world is dried up. We can feel that. And we can say, actually, it's nothing to do with what I did. But then we know that there are wonderful things in the Bible that says you're not a victim, 
that might have been what your past was, but there's always the God of all hope says, but that's not who you're going to be forever. That's why forgiveness is such a powerful transitional moment for people from I've got a crushed spirit to I'm now free. Um, I think it's Joyce Meyer who said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt the other person. That's what unforgiveness is. And it crushes the bones. <laughs> it crushes the spirit. So forgiveness, the, not the cho- it's not the decision to excuse someone, but it's the decision to say, I, re- I take, to quote the shack, I'm taking my hands away from their throat <laughs> to throttle them, as it were, metaphorically. I'm laying that down, my right to get even. Um, I'm not going to do that. So the decision to forgive, to let go of bitterness and anger, can be huge moments of um, refreshment coming to the inner world and and not remaining crushed. It's saying, um, I want to own the fact my heart is broken. I'm crushed inside, my heart was broken. I choose to forgive this person for letting me down. And I, I choose to let them off the hook. And I ask you, God, to reveal who you are to me. Amen. You know, so if we've been um, hurt by a father figure, we can come to the father and say, I choose to forgive this father figure or this father, but I ask you to reveal who you are for Amen. me, father. Who you are for me as I go forward. There is that moment where we just say, my heart is broken. And I would say, be ruthless where your heart is broken. Don't just cover it up and just move on. Because Proverbs is saying it, it, it's like your, your bones are crushed and you're dry. You, you need to seek a brother or sister. Go after things that like we do here, sozo, in the healing stuff. Get prayer, go after counselling, chat it through, unbound um, the kind of string. You know, sometimes we feel like inside we're all knotty. We need to get the string and get it unknotted. Get after emotional healing through a relationship with God. It's not fix yourself, modify yourself, try harder. The greatest place to be healed up emotionally is, is in relationship with other people and ultimately in a, in a connection and relationship with God. He is the most healing and the most amazing, wonderful Father who can steward you out of pain and into freedom. When you get near him, he'll speak to you about how he sees you and he'll speak to you about your identity in him and he'll bring you revelation of how he sees you. Another thing that can um, crush the bones is, is unconfessed sin. Is something that can crush the bones. And if you remember David in the Old Testament, he had really, really, really messed up and, and he'd committed adultery and he hadn't yet confessed it and said, you know what, I've really messed up. I've, he committed adultery and he got... Um, the, the, the wife's husband killed and he says this in Psalm 32 he says blessed is the one whose sins or transgressions are forgiven forgiven, whose sins are covered blessed is the one whom the Lord does not count against them um, and in whose spirit is no deceit he says when I kept silent my bones wasted again mm-hmm. there you find it again the dryness through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So David is saying, look, it's like the, a hot, hot day in your soul, you know, when you're so thirsty and dry. He said, that was what my inner world was like. I was dry and barren and crushed. Um, I was hiding from God. I was hiding from others. But the moment I, 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 I confessed it all to God and said, you're right. <laughs> I've actually sinned against you. I failed you. He says, in that moment, there was restoration in his inner world. His inner world came alive. He was no longer crushed inside. That sin destroys a joyful heart. We cannot be truly joyful without intimacy and connection with God. I'm going to say that, that you were made to be loved by God. And you were made to love God. You were made to call the Almighty Dad. <laughs> That's what the Holy Spirit does. You were made to know the intimacy and connection with the most wonderful creator, the loving Father, the one who made everything. He's creator, but he's also father. He's awesome in every single way, but he's so close. That you and I were made for that. We, we, we were made to wake up in the morning and say, what's next, Dad? What's next, Papa? What are we going to do together today? What adventures are we going to do today? What can we do together? I don't mind what we do together as long as we're doing it together. <laughs> so I, I was so touched on my daughter's Instagram page. Amazing they have Instagram pages, but... Uh, she said, me and my dad going for a walk. <laughs> I just felt so touched that for her, we, we, it didn't matter what we were doing, we were going for a walk. And, and we were made for that. We were made for that. We were made for that kind of intimate relationship, that connection with God. And, and the David in that psalm is saying, there's a moment where we just say, you know what, God, I've not lived for you. I've not wanted you. I've hidden from you. I've been like an enemy of yours. I've not really wanted to be around you. I own it. I own what I've done wrong. And I recognise that you have done absolutely everything necessary for me to come home and be friends. That David is saying, when I confessed it, when I said it, and you think, but who's paid for that then, David? Is it just you do what you want and then you say, sorry? The reality is David is, is looking ahead to a moment when Jesus came and died in our place, for us, as us, and took the penalty so that the debt can be completely paid. So in that moment, actually, it's all paid for, not through our works, but through his finished work. So, our, number three, our negative, critical grumbling and judgmental words can crush our spirit. But James says that our words are like a rudder and they direct us. And Proverbs says, like gossip, it kind of goes in your mouth and it tastes nice. Yeah? It's not, it, 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 it tastes nice because in that moment of being critical and judgmental, we feel superior and we feel less of a failure because we've found someone who's failing more than us in the area where we most want to be successful. And so those words can taste nice and it becomes bitterness in your stomach. It crushes the bones. So our words can take us somewhere. Anybody experience that? You're feeling joy, and then you have a negative conversation, maybe about yourself or about other people, about circumstances, and you come out of a bad taste. You think, oh, where did that come from? I was feeling joyful, now I feel kind of crushed inside. And that's because words take us somewhere. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, it says later in that same proverb. 
Regret is as crushing as bitterness. That's another thing that can crush people's... I think regret is one of the most powerful things that crush us because you can't do anything with regret, can you? Well, apparently we can't. We feel like, I did this, I mucked up, I didn't do what I needed to do, I didn't say what I should have said, I regret. And then it's there in time. And we think, I can't go back and change it. So regret can be as bitter as, uh, as bitterness and unforgiveness. But God is the God of redemption. God is the God who makes all things new. God is the God who, he says, if a thief steals from you, I'll pay you back seven times. Yeah. He, he's the God who says, I'll replace shame with glory. Yeah. And so we, we deal with a God who dwells outside of time. And so even our most regretful moments and our greatest failures, grace can redeem that and grace can show us how it can take our regret and turn that into something that's beautiful and something that moves us forward and changes us. So regret gets dealt with by I choose to forgive myself. I, I, I choose to forgive where I didn't do the right thing or say the right thing. I choose to do that. I choose to say sorry to other people where I've let them down. And I choose to forgive myself on the basis that he has chosen to forgive me. <laughs> that his court that says not guilty is higher than my court yes. that condemns me. I will That's not good. you know, put a guilty verdict on myself when heaven says not guilty. Another thing that can crush our joy and our spirit is always anticipating that something is going to go wrong. Apparently, 80% of the population believe that when, they're in, when, when there's a joyful moment, that something bad is going to happen. It's the, have you heard of Murphy's Law? If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. And actually, the, the remedy for um, foreboding and fearing that something is going to go wrong is to lean fully into a joyful moment through, through gratitude and thanksgiving, is to be in the moment through uh, celebration, through gratitude, through thanksgiving, rather than pulling back in fear, thinking, I daren't enjoy this moment because what if something goes wrong? That crushes the spirit, rather it's embracing the moment with <coughs> gratitude. And finally, just on some of the things that can crush the spirit, numbing emotional pain also numbs joy. So we, we, we've been doing some work looking at a research called Dr. Brady Brown and she says you can't, um, you can't numb pain, negative emotion, without also numbing all the positive ones as well. So if you numb pain through um, overspending, alcohol, just binge eating, watching loads of TV, gossip, just any way that you find to numb pain. It also numbs joy too. <coughs> so that's the kind of warning part, and to, to be active to clear those things out. Let's look at the whole thing of a joyful heart is good medicine. The first thing is, for all of us, there's no convenient time to be joyful. Mm. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that you think, I'll be joyful when... I'll be joyful when I've got this done. I'll be joyful when this is sorted. I'll be joyful when the building's all done and the roof is not leaking. <laughs> I'll, I'll be joyful when X, Y and Z happens. And I love what Steve Backland says on this. He says, 
if you're not joyful now, you're unlikely to be joyful then. Because mm. <laughs> every time you reach that moment when you say, um, I, I, once I get over this season, it'll be easier, or once we get over this moment, we'll be on holiday, you reach there and you find, oh dear, it's still miser- miserable old me that's <laughs> going on holiday. <laughs> this joy-impaired person has come. I thought that I would get here and then I would be joyful. And that's an interesting thing, because sometimes we can set things up as saviours. We can say holidays are saviours, or when the circumstances are sorted, that's a saviour. And then we realise that actually they're kind of a hollow saviour and not able to bring us joy. So there's no convenient time to be joyful. Um, And this is where, like, sometimes people are going through long-term health issues and and, and chronic pain... (laughs) And you're thinking, you're telling me to be joyful, but I'm going through agony and chronic pain. I don't know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. I don't experience that. I don't know what that is to go through every day in chronic agony. But what I can say is that medical science is catching up with the Bible in that there are people who have found that watching comedies and laughing have found hours of pain relief in chronic areas of pain. <coughs> That people have found that um, flu viruses and um, can be neutralised through people who practice joy. That they've measured people who do laughing and then looked at their, uh, their their white blood count and see that it's gone up and their immune system has been bu- boosted by laughter and joy. They've found that that that, that cardiac disease has been um, um, lessened in people who practice joy. It's deciding, when we know that joy is good medicine and it's good for our heart and good for our lives and it heals and cures, it also reminds us not to give away our joy casually. Mm. Because if you, know, if you think this is a precious, precious commodity that can bring, it can heal, it can cure, it can bring long life and health, then you don't want to give it away casually. You know, you've got joy and then you get in a traffic jam. <laughs> and you you don't want to give it away casually. You've got joy, and then a bill comes through the post. Mm. You think, where did all my joy go? We don't want to give it away casually. We want to recognise as well that joy is a choice. That God wouldn't have said a joyful, cheerful heart is good medicine if he didn't believe that we could choose joy. Mm. It, because if we only believe <coughs> that joy is, the, uh, is a personality type thing, that there are just people who are more joyful more optimistic. But actually joy is a choice that anybody can have regardless of personality, regardless of genetics and regardless of circumstances. So if I do an online test, I come out 96% odd melancholic. You know, in other words, if I was one of the a Disney character, I'd be Eeyore. <laughs> Every time, whatever the test... I come out as that. <laughs> but I remember thinking, I, I don't, I refuse to be defined mm. by a test. And I refuse to be defined by what I know is a decision of outlook and, and perspective. Mm. That if the Bible says a joyful heart does good like medicine, <coughs> if joy is a fruit of the Spirit, then I can be joyful. Yeah. So imagine if someone came up to you and, and, and they said to you, you know what, I'm just not a loving person. I, I, genetically, I'm not wired to love. 
I'm what they call a hater. <laughs> it's what I do, it's who I am. What would you say to you? You can't just say you're not a loving person. God is love and we're called to love. But then we, or there was somebody, imagine someone came up to you and says, all this righteousness stuff. I just do what I want when I want. <laughs> righteousness, that's old fashioned. I'm just my own boss. I love God, but I'm a bit of a rebel. You'd say to them, the, the kingdom's righteousness, peace and joy. You, you can't just reject a third of the kingdom and say it's old fashioned. <laughs> but we're not like that with joy. Yeah. We don't, we say, well, I'm just not a joyful person. I'm one of those serious people. I'm just not wired for joy. Other people, they're the joy ones. No, that's a third of the kingdom. <laughs> You can't just say a third of the kingdom is wiped off because you haven't experienced it. You can't just say, well, I'm just a worrier. I'm a worrywart. No, a third of the kingdom is shalom, peace. A third of the kingdom is peace that transcends all understanding. And as Pete Carter says, to have peace that transcends all understanding, you've got to have circumstances that you don't understand. That's the kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so we... We sometimes get casual with some of the things. We say, I, I like that bit because that fits my personality. I don't like that bit. No, joy is not, is, is, is not about your genetic. It's, it's about, this is an, a tangible aspect of being in the kingdom of God, is joy, is peace. So a person who's chosen joy can be joyful even in the most terrible circumstances. Mm. Now, it's true that we weep with those who weep. You know, we, we, we enter into what's going on. We're not unaware of things that are going on for people. Jesus went even to the tomb of Lazarus and he wept, even though he's about to raise the guy from the dead. He enters into the, the he's, a, he's entering into that moment with a collective group of people saying, you know what, I feel it too. <laughs> I'm with you too. I've got empathy and compassion. But it's also true that a person with a negative attitude can be negative in the most wonderful events there is going on. That a person who's decided my outlook is negative can find something wrong in everything, even in Disneyland. <laughs> because that's just the way they see it. They've, they've cultivated a mindset, there's always something wrong, there's always a reason not to be joyful. <coughs> and so joy is a medicine that we is a practice it's something that we cultivate it's something that we give ourselves to it's the things that we practice that are transformative and restorative it's the things we give ourselves to yeah. are the things that, that that cause us to enter into the kind of the good things that the kingdom has got so joy is cultivated it's how you habitually see life whether you see yourself as an overcomer or you see yourself as a victim, whether you see yourself as more than a conqueror or, or, or see yourself as less than everybody else. You're, in the end, you'll see what you're looking for. It's like one, somebody once said, you go into a supermarket and if you've got a rejection mindset, you see someone you know and they just don't see you, a rejected mindset will say, that person ignored me again. Yeah doesn't like me, what have I done wrong? A, a person who's got maybe a joyful mindset will say, maybe they were busy. Maybe they didn't see me. Maybe they were preoccupied. Mm. So, it's how we see. 
And ultimately, joy and peace come the moment we trust. That's what Romans yeah. is saying, that may the God of all hope, hope is the confident expectation that good is coming, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, in trusting. Mm. So whatever <coughs> circumstance you're going through, the moment you choose to trust is the moment you choose, is the moment you get filled with all joy and peace. Mm. So we're, we're not passive agents in all of this. That we get to choose and partner with, with the reality that God is a God yes. of joy. So every time you choose joy, every time you choose to be thankful, every time you choose to be grateful, every time you choose to do the things that cultivate joy, you put another block in like a stronghold of joy. You, 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 you build a resilience and a perseverance and a capacity to find joy in absolutely every circumstance. You actually can change your character from being an Eeyore to becoming increasingly a tigger. <laughs> I know that, 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 this, that, that our, we are who we have been created to be in our personalities, but what I do know is, I know that my essential personality, since I've known Christ, is essentially the same. In the sense of, I'm, I'm not energised by crowds, I tend to be more of an introvert than an extrovert. Um, I, I'm wired in particular ways. And that wiring is pretty much, that's who he's made me to be. Um, but at the same time, I know there are choices I can make. <coughs> the inner culture can be increasingly on this journey of being a joyful inner culture and increasingly taking good medicine. So every time we choose to cultivate joy, we put another block in place. Finally, develop some practices that cultivate joy. It says in the Bible, in God's presence is fullness of joy. Yes. Steve, um, Steve Backlund says, if, if you're really joyful in the presence of God, maybe you're not in his presence as much as you think. <laughs> In his presence is fullness of joy. And yeah, there are times of, like King David was talking about in Psalm 32, where there's, there's honest reflection, honest ownership, where there's moments of, um, actually, I'm sorry, God. But as we saw last week, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That you can be joyful now, not joyful when it's all sorted. Um, sowing to the Spirit lets God's nature rub off on you. That's what Galatians is talking about. One of the qualities of who God is, is he is joyful. He is the ecstatic God. So one of the ways to cultivate joy is to be more preoccupied with walking with Holy Spirit than walking according to darkness. So if you, if you walk into a dark room, how do you get rid of the darkness? You, you, you flick on the light, don't you? You don't rebuke the darkness in the room. You don't shout at the darkness. You put the light on and then... Darkness never stays where there's light. To cultivate joy is the reality that you can't be walking in two directions at the same time. It's actually physically impossible to say, I'm pursuing what I want, when I want, how I want to live, and do all the things of the, uh, the Bible talks about the flesh, and just saying, I'm just going to do anything that's simple that pleases me. 
You can't walk in that direction and walk in the direction of the Spirit at the same time. It's physically impossible. Mm. And, so, and, and there are people who try to do it, they tend to injure themselves <laughs> in the process. That when you walk according to the Spirit, God rubs off on you, and one of the qualities of God is his joy will rub yeah. off on you. Just being around Holy Spirit, <coughs> just getting his perspective, asking him how he sees things, asking him for his wisdom, his solutions, being around him, and joy rubs off. Yes. Number, practicing gratitude cultivates joy. So instead of, we talked about Murphy's Law and foreboding fear, being fixated upon, I better not lean into this joyful moment, because what if it goes wrong? Instead, cultivate gratitude for this joyful moment. Cultivate, wow, I'm so thankful for this moment. I'm so aware in this moment, this precious moment. This is amazing and it's beautiful and it's awesome. And, and because again, it's hard to practice the fear that something can go wrong and gratitude at the same time. Number four, <coughs> being kind and compassionate to yourself. <coughs> Speak to yourself as you would a friend. Again, it's the research we've come across with Bernie Brown and everything <coughs> on compassion. If, if you wouldn't speak to a friend like that, don't speak to yourself like that. Mm. In other words, you, 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 you don't perform as well as you'd hoped and something goes wrong. Don't be harsh. Don't be ultra-critical. Don't beat yourself up. Excessive looking inwards to try and fix you does not cultivate joy. And I say that as somebody who practiced excessive introspection for nearly 25 years. I can tell you it does not work. Looking inwards, trying to fix yourself, it gets you nowhere. Okay? And we know that from Galatians 3. It says, how did you receive the Spirit? Was it through fixing yourself and keeping the law? Or was it because you believed? Mm. So being kind to yourself. Not beating yourself up and calling yourself a failure. Not saying, oh, you've done it again, you failure. Talk to yourself kindly. Be, you know, yeah, own where you need to own. Say sorry to people, say sorry to God, but move really quickly to, wow, we're making progress, aren't we, God? I used to hold on to that mindset for a month. Now it's just been 30 minutes. Well done. We're moving forward, aren't we? Talk to yourself. Congratulate yourself. Be the biggest uh, builder up of yourself. That you know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Preach to yourself good news. Wake up and tell yourself some good news. God's with me, God knows me, God loves me, God sees me, I'm with him. Keep your joy tank full. Yeah. A fun practice can be, at the beginning of every, every day, on YouTube, find people just laughing and join in with them. <laughs> And finish your day finding some more people on YouTube and just laugh with them. (laughs) This is is my goal, okay? That when I watch a comedy, I don't laugh out loud. (laughs) Maybe there's something going on inside, but (laughs) it's it's not reached here yet. I want to... Rochelle roars with laughter when she's watching a comedy. I'm I'm going to be like Rochelle when she's watching comedies. That's my goal. So my goal is to practice laughing and practice my joy tank being filled. Because I could tend to err on the side of seriousness, you know, the Eeyore bit. (laughs) I want to embrace the Tigger (laughs) more and more. 
So watching comedies, watch as many cat videos as you want. (laughs) (laughs) The average child laughs 400 times a day. The average adult, 15. That's not a great (laughs) trajectory, is it? Adults become more and more and more and more and more serious as they get older. Children know how to laugh. So, we're going to finish with some laughing, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) I invite you to stand. I've got this book called Let's Just Laugh at That. And it's based on Psalm 2, where God laughs at what his enemies are planning, and he laughs at what his enemies are, are, are saying. And so, and so it's fun to laugh at lies and then replace them with truth. So uh, we're going to read a lie, and then we can laugh at it. And in laughing at it, we're letting go, and we're, we're, we're saying it out loud, and we're recognising, well, that's just not true. So this is, these are some lies around it. It's not my personality to be joyful or laugh much, okay? The first lie is this, we're going to laugh at. Joy is an optional fruit of the Spirit, and it's only for certain personalities. (laughs) 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 The Bible was only speaking metaphorically when it said that a merry heart is good medicine. Just as some don't have the right personality to be a loving person, I don't have the personality to be a joyful person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as Steve Backman says when he does this, we've just got to be careful we don't pull a laughter muscle. But, you know. <laughs> we can laugh even harder than we, we have planned to laugh. This next one, God regrets giving man a sense of humour. <laughs> we should not trust the perspective of any Christian who laughs a lot. <laughs> uh, 